John chapter 2, verse 1. Amen. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother, parentheses, seeming to ignore him, said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. So I'd like to speak to you today on a mother's best advice. You can be seated. God bless you. Mothers are great advice givers. Can I get a witness from all the children? Yeah. Glad to have our children in here today. We're normally in children in the power zone. Proverbs says, my son, hear the instruction of thy Father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Moms have all kinds of advice. Sometimes it's more like orders, simple orders. Like wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your hair. Don't plan on leaving the house dressed like that. Where's your books? Don't forget your lunch. Did you do your homework? Eat your breakfast. Be careful now. You come back here right now. Clean your room, fold your clothes, put your stuff away. I'm giving mom some help here. Make your bed, do it now. Eat your breakfast, be careful. All of those things that moms say, put away that phone. How long have you been on your phone today? What are you looking at on your phone right now? You need to ask that more often, by the way. Where in the world do you think you're going? Who are you going with? Where are you going? When are you coming back? I don't think so. Or something like that. I used to be a youth pastor and teenagers often ask their parents an amazing question. They want to know why. Now I know little kids ask why, but when teenagers ask why, it's typically got a little bit of a zing behind the why. It's not just I want to understand it. It's why are you telling me to do something? Look how big I am and grown up and free moral agent. And moms sometimes give a nuclear response to why they say something like this, because I told you so. Sometimes that's because they can't think of a good why. And other times they just want you to know that why doesn't matter right now. If I tell you don't cross the street, there's a reason behind that. And you just need to obey immediately. I was raised at 291 West 32nd Street, Hialeah, Florida, suburb of Miami. We lived on 32nd Street. It was pretty busy. The cross street, our house was on the corner, was West 3rd Avenue. My Aunt Phyllis and Uncle Tom lived across the street from us, Caddy Corner, if you know what that is. So you have to cross two streets to get to their house. 
I don't remember this story, but my mom told me about it a few weeks ago, and I called to refresh this story in my mind. So I thought I might tell it today, but I wasn't really sure because I thought that I might get in trouble if I told it. But I took a chance anyway. I was three years old. We had a fenced yard, and uh, I was playing outside safely in the front yard with the gate shut. Three years old, I climbed the fence, opened the gate, went outside, locked the gate back, and walked across two streets to go to see my Aunt Phyllis and my cousins. When Aunt Phyllis called my mom and came across the street, things got bad. It wasn't the worst spanking I've ever got in my life. That goes to my dad. But it was the longest spanking I've ever got in my life. My mom grabbed my hand, partially dragged me back across two streets home, and spanked me all the way with her hand. She didn't kill me, but she kept me from getting killed. But she did tell me this morning that the neighbor, Bob Linton, must have been on his porch and he said, don't kill him. So it must have been pretty bad. I don't know. She said, well, he's going to get killed anyway if he crosses these streets. You got to learn. And your mom says, don't cross the street. Don't waste a lot of your breath asking why. Why doesn't always work. Now, the Bible is filled with explanations. The Bible answers every intelligent why. Every question you have about life, about godliness, about creation, the Bible has every answer you need to be saved and go to heaven. But when it comes to matters of faith, what really needs to happen is a simple act of obedience to the Lord when he gives you a command. When there's a divine imperative, don't fool around asking why. Just do whatever he tells you to do. That's the essence of this story. It's the occasion of the first miracle that Jesus ever worked in the city of Cana of Galilee. This first miracle was not performed in the temple where thousands of people had come to worship. It wasn't performed in a synagogue, that local church of Jewish worship. It was performed in a home in the city of Cana of Galilee. You would say out in the country, away from the bustling city of Jerusalem, that hub of religious activity. And again, not performed at the temple, not performed at the synagogue. It was performed at a home. The Lord values domestic relationships. He invented the idea of the home led by a husband and a wife who would together bring children into the world in its ideal state. And I know that for many of you, ideal is long gone, but that's the way the Lord designed it. This miracle is going to be performed at a wedding feast. It's like the reception after the ceremony. And in those days, among Jewish families who had the means to do it, it was a really big event. It would typically happen at twilight as the sun was going down. It was the custom to have the bride covered from head to toe in a beautiful, long, flowing veil. 
She would be garlanded with flowers and there would be the fairest of robes all dressed with her and her maidens. She was heralded by torchlight and songs and music at the bridegroom's home after the wedding. She would be attended by her maidens and the groom would be attended by the men that were his friends. Sounds a lot like a lot of weddings today. The feast at the home of the bridegroom's family would be a joyous occasion. This was a giant celebration and often it lasted for several days. It went on and on and on. And the Bible tells us in John 2 and 1 that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's not named here, but the mother of Jesus is an invited guest at this wedding. We'll see from the context of the story that she was either close friends or maybe even a family member of the people who were throwing this elaborate party for their son, maybe, or daughter and the entire family. We also know in a second verse, verse 2, that Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding by separate invitation. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Jesus and his disciples are there at the wedding, and they are celebrating with everybody until there is a problem. They run out of punch. They run out of Wine, And I'm not going to take the time to, to kind of debate and explain the lack of alcoholic content in this wine, but this is, this is a real problem. We have a lot of guests here, and their cups are empty. And they might be complaining. And there may be a few snide remarks about the lack of planning and forethought by this family So someone must have told Mary, or Mary saw it, and Mary goes to her son and gets involved to tell him with a giant hint, as only ladies, and especially moms, can do. Now I'm just going to tell you ladies that we don't ever get it. You've got to be more direct with us. So when Mary goes to Jesus, it doesn't, she doesn't tell him what to do. She just throws the problem out, figuring that he'll catch the hint and know what to do. Well, Mary goes to Jesus, and she just says, verse 3, they have no wine. And then it appears that she just walks away leaving him standing there, knowing what she means. It's a hint, right? And Jesus says back to her, woman, now in the King James or the New King James, in our vernacular, like if I said to my wife, woman, in the King James, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Say, come here, boy, I'll tell you a thing or two. (laughs) But in the original language and in their culture, it was a very endearing term. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said to his mother from the cross, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. So it had a different connotation. It had a different feeling to Mary than what woman would seem to us. But then the next line he said, 
was in the King, New King James, what does your concern have to do with me? Mine hour is not yet come. Jesus knew that Mary was saying, she was not saying, Jesus, could you run down to the store and buy some more wine? She knew who he was and what he was going to do in his ministry, and she was implying, solve this problem by a supernatural means. And Jesus said, those kind of orders don't come from your mother. They come from your heavenly father. And my hour is not yet come. And I'm sorry, I love you, mom, but I don't work for you when it comes to the miraculous. You can see Mary just looking up at him with those big brown eyes. She doesn't say anything else to Jesus after she drops a hint, after he tells her no. She just goes over to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do it, do it. As if to say, I know my boy. There's no way he's going to tell me no on Mother's Day. No, it wasn't Mother's Day. I, I just imagine Jesus looking at his mom. He's 30 years old. Looking at his mom, kind of half smiling, like, I can't believe you just did that, you know? And, but then, there must have been that order that came from heaven. Jesus said, the works that I do, it's what I see my father doing. I, I work at the instruction of the spirit that is inside of me. And there must have been a prompting that came to Jesus at the hint of Mary that changed everything that day. What an amazing story of the interaction between Mary and Jesus and Jesus saying it's not time and Mary knowing that it was. She knew what he was about to do. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I don't know what the best advice you think your mom has ever given you or what the best advice your mom has ever given anyone is, but when Jesus told those servants that day, whatever he says to do, you just do it. And I'm going to tell you on Mother's Day that the best advice a mother can ever give is to tell your kids, whatever God tells you, just do it. Wherever he calls you, go there. If his word says do this, you obey him. Instantly do whatever he tells you to do. And if you as a mom have never told your kids that, I want to give you the advice that Mary gave that day. You need to be the kind of mom that loves your kids enough to know that God will never make a mistake. He will never steer them wrong. His word will never bring harm and hurt into our lives. Every mother needs to tell their kids, whatever Jesus tells you to do, you need to obey him instantly. Amen. Mother's best advice. The servants have heard the voice of Mary and they're standing by ready for instructions with Jesus, from Jesus, and he hasn't really said that he's going to do anything yet. The Bible says in John chapter 2 verse 6, now there were set there 
six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece, six times 20 or 30. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, the reason I told you this was a really big event is because there's somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water that have just been turned into wine. If everybody had one 16-ounce serving, this amount of wine could have served between 960 to like 100, 1,440 people. There could have well been over 1,000 people that could have been served at this wedding feast. It's a big party. And Jesus doesn't wave his hand. He doesn't give a command besides fill these water pots up. And this is the amazing miracle that the servants pour in water and then they pour out wine. In the process of them pouring in and then them pouring out, spiritually, God superseded the laws of nature. He changed the very nature of H2O into something that was totally different by the power of his word. That's what Jesus did when he turned water into wine. And I thought of this too. Jesus' first miracle, he didn't have to warm up and do something small on his first act of supernatural power. But he took something that had one nature and he changed it into something with a different nature. They took the wine that had been water and they took it to the ruler of the feast. He took a sip of it and said, this is amazing. He told the the family, usually you start out with the best and then later you bring the bad stuff. But you have saved the best for the last, amen. You saved the best wine until now. Now let me just stop right now to tell the church, those of you who are living with me in 2019, I do not believe that the greatest miracles that God has ever done were yesterday or 2,000 years ago or that the greatest revival the world will ever see happened back in the first days of the church. I believe that God always saves the best for last. And in our day, in our culture, I believe that God is going to do his greatest work at the end of the age. If you believe that, why don't you applaud with faith the nature of our God. This, the Bible said in verse 11, was the beginning of miracles. The first of the miracles Jesus ever performed and his disciples believed in him. It happened at a family gathering. It proved his power over the natural world where he superseded the laws of nature by turning something into a completely different 
substance. Now I'm saying that on purpose again to help you understand that God created the natural world, but he has power over it. And when God works a miracle, he suspends the laws of nature. He takes something that is natural and he changes it by very nature into something different. As I was praying with people in the altar in the first service, I just kind of felt like God has the power to turn a cancerous cell into a normal cell. He has the power to change what is malignant into something that is healthy and normal. He can change the nature. He can change the nature of something that is deteriorating into something that is healthy. He can change something that is lame into something that is whole again. That's what God does when he works a miracle. I mean, after all, he turned water into walls, sort of. When the Israelites walked through on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea, it was a wall of water on the, either side of them as they walked through. And then I guess he turned the sea into a sidewalk or something like that when he walked on water. You see, you cannot walk on water. It will not support your weight, only if you're not God. With man, it is impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. He can change the nature of anything into whatever he chooses it to be. Pour in water, pour out wine. Come to church on Mother's Day, burdened down, loaded down with care, sin in your life, addictions controlling you, family fractured, you come in with the natural result of sin and life and hardship and sickness. And here we all are at the mercy of the Lord. And I would just tell you that if he gives you a prompt to pray or worship or believe him, whatever he says to you, just do it. Just do it. He has the power to change the nature of where you are right now. That transformation took place instantly. I've had so many people tell me, well, I'm trying to work all this out. I need more time. God does not need more time. You may need time to kind of work out problems and relationships and change the way you think. But the Lord Jesus Christ does not need minutes or hours. All he needs is to speak his word. And the instant that his word is spoken, darkness becomes light and sickness becomes healing. And whatever is broken becomes whole again by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to have faith today. I want you to believe that Jesus Christ can change your very nature. You see, some of you have been battling your nature a long time. And you've sort of given up because you can't beat it. Your fallen, sinful human nature is getting the best of you. And the Bible's pretty clear in Romans 7 that the power of sin is stronger than the power of good intentions. 
that you cannot do this on your own. But the word of Jesus Christ and the spirit of the Lord in your life, if he changes your nature, you're no longer battling your nature. If he turns water into wine, it has now become something else than it was before his word. The Bible is very clear to tell us that God is a power. He has the power to change you. Amen. And this was not planned, but on this platform are beautiful butterflies. Aren't they pretty? And, and in the back in our photo ops, there's, there's more butterflies there. And most of us know that a butterfly begins its life as a creeping little creature, a worm, right? It's in the larvae stage. And then it spins a cocoon, locks itself in. And the struggle of that, it emerges as something that appears to be totally different before it can only crawl. But now it can fly. The dictionary, not the Bible or not, you know, some Bible illustration. The dictionary says that metamorphosis, that process whereby a, a larvae, a worm, turns into a butterfly. Metamorphosis is a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. I know that you can do some things by nature and God programmed into the natural world this process that we call metamorphosis. But I know because I've watched it thousands and thousands of times that God takes a dead sinner and he transforms a dead sinner into a living saint. He takes something that is dead and he makes it alive. He takes something that is impossible and he makes it possible by the power of his word. Whatever he says to you, do it. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Creation. The original word is species, like something that has never existed on planet earth before. What Jesus does when he changes a person's life, he makes you something brand new that you've never been before. Salvation is that process of turning from your sins and repentance, believing in the power of Jesus, being baptized in Jesus' name, filling, being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But all of that process doesn't have to be weeks and months. It can happen today on Mother's Day 2019. He can make you a brand new creation. Show that verse again. He is a new creation. All things are passed away. They have become deceased. And behold, all things are become new, have become new. That is what Jesus does when he turns water into wine, when he turns a sinner into a saint, 
when he turns a persecuting man into a preacher of the gospel. He changes the nature from the inside out. I watched him do it this morning. I believe he's going to do it today again if you will open your heart to him. A mother's best advice is whatever he says to you, do it. If you're standing on the bow of the boat and you say, Lord, if that's you, invite me to come. And Jesus says, come. All of a sudden, that sea turns to a sidewalk and Peter walks on water to go to Jesus Christ. My Mother's Day advice to you comes from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it is very simple. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Oh, you say, well, I don't understand it. I don't understand how water turned to wine. I don't really know how he did it. Maybe one day in heaven we'll understand it. But if you were at the marriage of Cana of Galilee, you didn't really care how he did it, just that he did it. Amen. So don't argue with Jesus when he gives you a directive. Don't reason with Jesus. Whatever he says, do it. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts. You can, and I've watched people do this. You can spend your lifetime arguing with the Bible, arguing at God, fussing about the injustices that have happened in your life, and you can just try to play God to him. But let me tell you this. When you're finished arguing, he is still God and you are not. He still has an answer and you don't because you haven't trusted him. When you're finished telling him what he needs to do, he is still sovereign and you are not. He is still mighty and powerful and you are not. So today on Mother's Day, why don't you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Why don't you obey this Mother's Day advice and say, Lord, whatever you would say to me, whatever you would say to me, I'm going to do it. The first Mother's Day advice to every one of us is to have a change of mind from our old life, from our sin, from our selfishness, from our autonomy, wanting to rule our own lives, to say, Lord, I, I come today. You know, I always like to ask people, how's that working out, you being in charge? How's that working out, you being Lord of your own life? Looks like a disaster to me. Maybe something needs to happen. So why not say, Lord, I've come to the end of myself today. And I'm asking you, Lord, to have mercy on me and forgive me of my sins. And help me, Lord, believe that you can change my nature just as you changed the nature, Lord, of water and turned it into wine. I know you have a sin nature. The power of salvation will overcome that power. There are people in our culture who struggle with their gender identity. They're so bound by that. But God can change your nature. And if he changes your nature, you're no longer battling your nature. He gives you power over that nature. 
say, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I know that's what man says because that's the man, the best that man can do. But the Bible says such were some of you. You were thieves and you were immoral and you were all kinds of things. But now you've been washed and you've been sanctified. You've been justified. You're not what you used to be. I've changed your nature into something completely different. Why don't you thank him if you know what that feels like? Amen. One more story. You know, it's amazing how people have in their mind a preconceived idea of how God should do what he does. And there's a man named Naaman in the Old Testament. He's a, like a general, a captain in the Syrian army, and he's a big shot. He's got favor with the king, but he is also afflicted with a disease called leprosy. In one of their marauding bands, they captured a little Jewish girl, a maiden, and she's serving in Naaman's house. And she tells one of the servants to get a word to Naaman that if I could just get Naaman to my country, there's a prophet there that could heal him. And the word gets to Naaman. And Naaman takes a big entourage and travels to Israel. And the king knows he can't do this. So he's afraid that it's some kind of a trick. But then Elisha, the prophet, sends a message and Naaman the leper, this general with all of his horses and chariots and soldiers that are with him and gifts that he's going to give the prophet, they all ride down to Elisha's house. Elisha's inside drinking sweet tea and eating fried chicken or something like that. Big shot Naaman pulls up, Rolls Royce chariot, Elisha says to his servant, go out there and just tell Naaman that if he'll go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times, he'll be healed and he'll come up and his flesh will be just like it was before. Elisha doesn't even go out to this real, you know, uppity guy. The Bible says that when Naaman heard this, the Bible said he was wroth. The modern translation is ticked off. And Naaman said, ah, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. And besides, we've got cleaner, better rivers where I'm from than the dirty, muddy Jordan River. Why can't I go wash in them and be made clean? And the Bible says that Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. I've seen people do that before. They're just mad. <laughs> Tell me to repent of my sins. I've got, oh, I'm not doing that. That's okay. You want to be a leper? Be a leper. <clears throat> And one of his servants came over to Naaman and said, hey, Naaman, hold on just a second. Chill out. That's a John's translation. <clears throat> if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. How much more 
He told you just to go wash and be clean. Naaman changed his mind. He realized, duh, I've been a big you know, dummy here doing this. Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he simply obeyed what God said to the prophet Elisha. He dunked himself once, twice, three times, nothing, four, five. In complete obedience, doesn't get it done. Six, seventh time, full of anticipation. What's going to happen when I finally obey? And when he came up the seventh time, the Bible said that his flesh was like a little child and he was cleansed from his leprosy. So today, Mother's Day advice, whatever he says to you, do it. Would you bow your heads right now? Jesus, we come to you today in a desperate need of healing and forgiveness. We're desperately in need, Lord, to have the chains of addictions broken off our lives. We, God, are like Naaman. We are stricken with the disease that is incurable, and there's nothing we can do about it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us have the humility and the honesty to say, Lord, that my plans and my solutions are all coming up short and they have not changed my life. So, Lord, today, I turn myself over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and I ask you, Lord, today to forgive me of my sins, to wash me, Lord, that I would be clean. I pray right now today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would change our nature from what it is now to a new creation by the power of the word of God. And I pray that it would begin to happen right now in Jesus' name as we ask for it. Would you begin to pray your own prayers right now? And would you maybe join with someone next to you and pray for them? Lift your voice and let's pray together right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you just lift your voice and would you pray with your family member, with the neighbor sitting next to you? Jesus' name right now. That's it. This is your turn to pray. This is your time to open your mouth and ask God to miraculously work here today. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, He has power over your sickness, He has power over your sin. Jesus. Jesus, call on His name right now. I believe you, Lord God, today. I believe you, Lord God, today. I thank you. Hallelujah. I bless your name right now, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you let there be hope that would spring in your heart right now? that you can really overcome this. That you can really walk away from 
your old life of sin. That Jesus has the power to make you a new creation. That all things would pass away. And all things would become new. Would you please stand with me right now? And if you're a believer in the Lord, would you lift up your hands to Jesus? And would you thank Him that He has this kind of power? And that He's going to demonstrate this power today, right now. Lift up your hands to the Lord. And claim your deliverance. Claim your salvation. Claim your healing.